Welcome to Simple Grace Radio, where we share God's glorious grace for a transformed life. I'm your host, Adrian Crum. This is another special feature of Grace Stories, God's outrageous and transforming grace working itself out in the very ordinary lives of our church members right here at Harvest. And we're talking for uh, the third time here to one of our church members. You know her voice. Uh, we're calling her Elisa because she may end up in a closed country where we want to protect her identity. And we have a really important conversation uh, on this episode where I'll ask Elisa the question, why do we need to go uh, in missionary efforts? Why do we have to leave and go uh, all over the world? Uh, God has sent us to the ends of the world, and we're, we're in the ends of the world in that sense uh, in West Michigan or whatever place uh, the Lord has called you to live in. Do we, do we need to leave home to go and do foreign missions from our perspective in another place? And I think she has a helpful answer for that question. Let's dig into our broadcast now. So I have a question about this. We've talked about it, I think, the two of us before, and I think you probably get asked this a lot. But uh, if I walk across, so our church is at 52nd Street in Clyde Park in mm -hmm. uh, West Michigan, a little place called Wyoming, about 10 minutes south of downtown Grand Rapids. If I walk across 52nd Street, there's a little neighborhood of people who will say that they're Dutch Reformed. Uh, they might not go to church, but they were raised Dutch Reformed. Uh, they'd like me to pray for them, and uh, I I think they speak about the gospel. They may even know the Heidelberg Catechism, things like that, but I don't know that they're Christians because they're mm. not living the reality of that sometimes. Uh, that's not the case of everyone there, but there are, there are people like that mm -hmm. there. Uh, if I cross uh, Clyde Park, there's a uh, manufactured homes neighborhood, uh, and I and I know there are people in really hard circumstances who are not Christians there. Mm -hmm. um, is God a missionary God for the nations in the sense of other places in the world in a way that he's not for here? Um, mm -hmm. Is there a preference for leaving where you're from? to go somewhere else to reach people who are lost? Hmm. Or does the Lord equally want us to reach these people right here hmm. versus places, other places in the world? Yeah, I think what I've been noticing or learning a lot about is if everything is mission, then nothing is mission. Sure, yeah. So, yes, he's a missionary God to those here in Wyoming and Grand Rapids area. But if we're going to be defining missions, then that wouldn't be missions. That would just be – that would be – living a Christian life and sharing the gospel and being evangelistic, which isn't minimized in any way or there's no hierarchy in a life that's pleasing to the Lord. But that's just a different category of the Christian life or of a calling, maybe. All of these things I'm still learning and trying sure. to understand. What I've been seeing some in scriptures is the emphasis on going to where Christ's name hasn't been named because like even Matthew 28 where it says, go therefore. Yeah. It's just an imperative that we should be going where it hasn't yet gone because yeah. it, that command is still there to go. Right. So people say there's a lot of unreached people here in West Michigan, which it all really depends on how you're going to define your terms. But right. if we're going to define it as unreached, then there aren't really anybody unreached in West Michigan. There's people who don't know and who have never heard of Christ before. So we should be going to them, but mm -hmm. they're not unreached because they have the Bible in their language. There are churches on every corner, and you and I live here in Grand Rapids mm -hmm. and are, ought to be, and I've been given the opportunity to go to them. So there isn't a hierarchy or favoritism or any of that, but it all depends on how you define terms and right. understand missions and unreached. 
That's good. Yeah, so so what's unique about the new covenant is Jesus is giving his disciples the command, um, chapter 28, verse 18, he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go to all nations. So in some sense, our church has already uh, reached this area to some degree. Yeah. Uh, we can be more faithful as as uh, individual Christians of our congregation to share the gospel with our neighbors. But you're saying we should have a burden then for other countries and other yes. peoples also. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Paul, I think uh, Romans 16 uses that phrase that it's his uh, desire to go where where Christ has not been mm-hmm. named before. So that's that's a wonderful, I think, calling and pursuit that the Lord has put on your heart. If so, I I hope the people who listen to this would pray for you, and then even ask themselves, could the Lord be calling me to something mm. similar? I think I talked to you about this in another context. Do you think every, let's say at our church, I have four daughters. Do you think every kid should think about hmm. going to the foreign mission field? Hmm. You talk about goers and senders. Is there a sense of, is it only Alisa that is called and we all rally around you and pray for you? Uh, should there be hundreds of kids or a portion of kids? What hmm. If... If the Lord were to answer your prayers about a vision for missions at Harvest, what could that look like? And specifically, what would you want uh, to happen? Yeah, I guess in this whole story of the Lord calling me to the mission field, I think a big part of it that we didn't talk so much about is the Lord had really been just kind of opening my eyes to seeing like, wow, if Christ has redeemed me, if I've been won by him, then what is that for? It can't be just to be saved, which isn't a small, I'm not minimizing that in any bit. Then we are invited. So we're saved by the blood of Christ, praise his name. So then we are invited into something to participate in something, which is making his name known here in Grand Rapids and around the world. So I don't think there's a call to everybody to go to the mission field. I think that's why it hinges all on obedience, because it's either something the Lord's going to call you to as a goer, or he's going to call you to as a sender. And senders are not are not in any way dismissed from living a life that matters, from living a life that's devoted to the Lord, from telling those here in Grand Rapids of the gospel and evangelize, evangelizing. But their role just looks different in the context of missions and sending rather than going it's really fascinating to me that when Jesus says to his disciples to pick up your cross and follow me, it's not a, hey, missionaries, pick up your cross, mm-hmm. sacrifice everything, and go to the mission field. It's That's the call to all of Christ's followers. So I don't think there's a, and yeah, I don't think there's a necessity that everyone needs to be a missionary. I don't think we assume it as as an option or as, I guess, I don't think we see it as, a first option sometimes. I think we see it as it has to be some extraordinary calling in order to go and that the Lord has to really, really be calling me in order to be a missionary. I think we assume we're not missionaries and then some people maybe will hear the Lord calling them to that. There's sort of exceptionalism. Like yeah. Just very, very rarely uh, does someone call to the mission. So I was raised uh Tijuana, Mexico. It's actually where Paige is studying right now. My dad was... I realize now my dad was really gifted as a 
church planter, and that's really the thing he's done his whole life. So he was he has had two calls as a pastor, one in Mexico for 26 years um, in Tijuana, right across the border from San Diego, California. And then the second call he's done is what's called a regional home missionary, which means he assists churches getting mm-hmm. started up and planted in the Southern California Presbytery of the, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Um, dad's passion was to see churches get started. Um, I actually did not hear my dad preach consistently growing up, even though my dad was a pastor, because as soon as a group was formed and there was some sense that they wanted to be a church, we would call a pastor who was being trained in uh, Juan Calvino Seminary in Mexico City. And so that that was the person who was really the, you, you talk about an organizing pastor, the person who was really kind of um, helping feed the people there and, and uh, get the church to a place where they could have their own elders and, and uh, be, we call it particularized, it becomes its own congregation. So that's my my framework for missions in a foreign context is our goal was to get at least five churches started in Tijuana such that all of those uh, pastors, one of, it, one of it was just very practical. We didn't want those pastors to have to drive like 20 hours to their presbytery meetings because there were no presbyteries in right. the area. So the regional church was important to us. And we just thought if it, uh, the, the the benchmark my dad had in his mind to some degree of when he would wrap up on the mission field was once there's five churches, five to seven churches started, they can become their own presbytery. Um, and then he was – once that was there, I don't know that it actually formed a presbytery, but he, he sensed that it was close. He was considering a call to Montevideo actually where our missionaries are in Uruguay or to come back and be a regional home missionary. Um, so that's my framework for – what uh, missions looks like in a foreign context? What What is the goal and um, what do organized churches look like if they turn out the way that you're praying the Lord would use you uh, with a team uh, to start start churches in a, a foreign context? Yeah, the training we're getting at Radius is for going to an unreached context, which means that there's a lot of steps to do before church planning even happens. And so a lot of that is learning the first language, the national language, then moving to the targeted unreached people group and learning their language and their culture and their worldview to a adult level of fluency so that you can communicate to them fluently, but then also so that you sound like the people, you dress like the people, you live among them. Sometimes on campus we talk about you need to eat like the people, so you smell like the people, and you just become a part of that unreached context culture. Mm. And then through that, you're identifying the different barriers that would stand in, in the way of hearing the gospel. You can't just preach the gospel for how a Western ears would hear it. You need to preach the gospel and proclaim Christ with different barriers in mind that maybe are in, in the way. And that's all dependent on what their culture is, but mainly their worldview. So at Radius, we talk a lot about identifying worldviews and thinking about worldviews, how to how to, we have a lot of classes on worldview. And then, so knowing the language and culture and worldview is so key. And that's a big part of what training at Radius is for. We have a lot of classes on language learning. We have a lot of classes on phonetics. So how to hear the different articulations that we make, how to identify what they are, how to make those articulations. Like the way we say taco here on this side of the border is different than the way you say taco in Mexico. And it's just a slight difference in where you're putting your tongue. 
and it's a difference in aspiration. So taco, there's a oh, yeah. there's a breath that comes after that T. But in Mexico, say por, or tacos por favor, there's no aspiration there. And in Mexico, they would understand. I'd still like, oh yeah, she wants it. She wants yeah. a taco. But in other languages, maybe it would be a different meaning if I'm if I have different articulations, and also if I want to sound like the people, then I need to know what I'm doing that's different so that I can change my accent to be like theirs. So a lot of classes on language learning because that's so key. Because if we're going to be, like Roman says, that we talked about earlier, if they're going to, how are they going to know if they never Mm -hmm. hear? Mm -hmm. And they can't just be told. They need to be told in their language that makes sense to them. But then after learning language, worldview, and culture, then in order to reach an unreached people group, they need to have the written word. And often that looks, when you go to an unreached context, many of them do not have a written language. So a lot of what we're learning at Radius is how to create an alphabet. That's all mm-hmm. second semester. How to create an alphabet. How to teach the people how to read. So how to bring literacy and teach them how to read their own language. And then through that process, we'd be translating the Bible into their language. And that is so necessary, too, because you don't want to contextualize what mm. doesn't need to be contextualized. But there's maybe words that they don't have in their language, like forgiveness. That's kind of an idea and concept that they need to, in language, they need to know. Or maybe a lamb. They've never seen a lamb before. But you don't want to contextualize that and change the meaning of Scripture by using an animal they do know. So kind of you have to know the culture well. You have to know the people well. And then how to introduce some of those things as you translate scripture and as you teach them the gospel. Would they recommend working with a translation agency to help they, you translate the Bible? Or are they thinking you that team that you work with does all the work by yourself? Yeah, there's a lot of translation consultants. Okay. So Radius is going to partner with a lot of those. And the sending agency will probably have a lot of those contacts, a lot of those opportunities and further training. And because it's so far down the road, there's there's a lot of – instances where people come back for their furlough and then also go to seminary and take Hebrew and Greek. So that, yeah, the translation part, we're kind of dipping our toes in it right now and grappling with the weightiness of it because mm-hmm. this is scripture. Mm-hmm. And yet kind of further down the road, there's opportunities for further training and consultants and mm-hmm. agencies to partner with. It's so necessary to have the Bible translated. There's a lot of audio Bible options, which are excellent. But if you're going to keep from heresy, it's also necessary to have it written. And that's the way it was given to us. But it takes a long time. So a major piece about Radius is there. We're training you so that you can, Lord willing, be effective on the field for 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. if that's what it takes. And then, so and after translating the Bible, then it looks like working to plant a church. And a lot of that is... Um, what we call gospel and narrative context at Radius has been some classes that have been really fascinating to me where we're not just studying the Bible, starting in, in the gospels and like sharing about the gospel with the new believers or with the unreached people group, but we're introducing, sharing the gospel, starting from creation and really focusing on, on who God is in creation, how he created the world. And then really sitting in, the story of the fall for a while and, and grappling with those things. And from the barriers that you picked up from the worldview and from the culture that you've been learning about, 
then you start to pick out which stories in the narrative of the gospel of the Bible do we need to be teaching first. Of course, mm-hmm. you'll teach the whole Bible to them eventually, but you don't want to go through every story because they need they need Christ. So mm-hmm. you want to get to the cross, and yet you don't want to skip over the narrative that's there. It's set up that way. It's an arc that way because that's the way a divine God ordained it and planned it to be that way. But then also a worldview can shift and be brought into a biblical worldview through the narrative of the Bible so that when Christ does come on the scene, when Christ does enter into the story as a man, it's the one that we've been longing for and waiting for and Mm -hmm. that the narrative of the Bible has set us up as expectantly waiting for him to come so that it's not just, hey, this is another story, but okay, I'm looking for the Redeemer who's going to save me from my sin. And that's going to be something, I mean, the Lord can use his means and he can, but that can be, that's established throughout the whole narrative of the Bible. So it's been really fascinating to me to take classes at Radius that are helping us see the gospel in narrative context and the necessity for teaching it in that way so that when Christ comes, we don't just see him for who he is, but we need him and we want to be part of him. So introducing the gospel, Lord willing, there's converts, but you can't have converts without evangelism, and you can't have, and and they need to have the Bible. So all of these things need to be worked on. It's a long process, and then planning a church and working yourself out of a job. When you talk about uh, teaching the whole Bible, it reminded me of this. Uh, so Brooks Buser, director at uh, Radius, came and spoke at our church at Harvest. And he told the story of the, we call it the Proto-Evangelion. That's just the first telling of the gospel, first promise of the gospel, Genesis 3.15. And that says that the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent. And it's just a beautiful retelling where he was in uh, Papua New Guinea. Mm -hmm. uh, And he uh, started to explain just Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, walking through the story of the Bible. And when they came to the promise about the seed of the woman, they assume the very first child that uh, Eve has will be the one that was coming. Mm -hmm. And so they keep asking, is this the one that's going to come? Is this the one that's going to come? And he taught through all of the Old Testament and finally got to the New Testament. And they, you know, introduces John the Baptist. Is this the one that was promised? And then finally he gets to Jesus and they like just celebrated the fact that, that Christ was the one that had been promised in, um, all the way back at the very, very beginning of the story. And I think, unfortunately, we take the Bible for granted if we've been around it our whole mm-hmm. lives, mm-hmm. and we don't see just that sense of longing and desire and mm-hmm. hope that's built into the scriptures. Um, and so I think to some degree, going to another context can help you re reawaken a sense of joy and delight in the story of the Bible. It mm-hmm. is a, a remarkable story. Um, yeah. It's a true story, uh, but it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Well, what, what, uh, so let's say there's a young person who's thinking, I may want to be involved in missions, but I don't want to leave my family behind. Um, I, I don't think I'm a good enough Christian, uh, to go. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know what the first steps would be. What would you say to someone who's just very much thinking about this for the first time? Mm-hmm. Something I would share with somebody before they go, or even if you're considering missions, I would say to really go to your, press into your local church, 
missions is from the local church, so it's not something that should be done in isolation or on its own or um, individually. Um, so it, your local church needs to know. But also there's nothing magical about a overseas flight. Mm-hmm. So if you're not if you don't love the church, you're not part of the church, mm. then, um, yeah, that's not going to change flying overseas to a mission mm. field. Mm. So become a member of your church, talk to your pastors, um, invite them to pray with you about this. Um, but yeah, bring, bring it before the Lord mm. and, um, and wrestle with it and wrestle with these big questions, what the Lord is calling you to, how you're going to live a life that matters. Um, but I would say for sure, um, what has been key to me and counsel that I've been receiving is to really press into your local church and, and, um, serve there hmm. faithfully first before considering hmm. serving overseas. That's great. Something I would share with somebody before they go, or even if you're considering missions, I would say to really go to your press into your local church. Missions is from the local church, so it's not something that should be done in isolation or on its own or individually. So it, your local church needs to know. But also there's nothing magical about a overseas flight. Mm-hmm. So if you're not if you don't love the church, you're not part of the church, then yeah, that's not going to change flying overseas to a mission mm-hmm. field. So become a member of your church, talk to your pastors, invite them to pray with you about this. But yeah, bring bring it before the Lord and and wrestle with it and wrestle with these big questions, what the Lord is calling you to, how you're going to live a life that matters. But I would say for sure what has been key to me and counsel that I've been receiving is to really press into your local church and and serve there faithfully first. One way you've put it before, which I found was helpful, when you do something that is purposeful and meaningful, you realize that in some ways it's not a sacrifice. What Mm. you gain is so much greater. So there's the famous quote, he is no fool who uh, gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Mm. I think, and and I think becoming a Christian is that you're Mm. in some ways forsaking the world you're forsaking hmm. temporary pleasures, um, but you're you're gaining eternity. So, yeah, I've def- yeah, similar to what you're driving at. Yeah, I've definitely been finding that this cost, sacrifice, even the suffering that is involved or required, I guess, of what the Lord's calling me to to go to the field, really is exactly what you're saying. That because because what's required is so much, it's requires me giving up my family harvest, possibly my own life and breath, a lot of my dreams and desires. Because it's such a high cost, it just elevates who Christ is then because he must be worthy of all those things if that's what he's inviting me to give to him. And because he's worthy of all those things and because he's inviting me to give up everything for his name, then somehow it shifts, like you're saying, that it it becomes it becomes the greatest privilege i could give my life to if christ is worthy of everything then it is a privilege to give him everything and to live a life that is that is seeking to give up all for his name and that looks like that could be it what's so 
sobering is it looks like a radical way of living. It's not radical. It's just the way we're called to as Christians. So that means it, it doesn't have to be a missionary context. It's also radical Christian living in the Grand Rapids context or in a in a home context. It doesn't have to be, it's not just the call to the missionary to give up everything and to live a life fully to the Lord. That's every Christian's call. Yeah. And it's a privilege in that sense to live a life of dying is something that I've been really wrestling with in some sense, because it's the dying, even though it's a privilege, is still feels like death. And yet in the gospels where it talks about a seed is planted and dies. And then after that seed is buried, then it it is brought back to life. And that new life is actually so much greater than what it could have been without the sacrifice and the cost. Mm. And also thinking about on the last day when we see Christ in all of his glory and everything wrong has been made right and all unseen things have been seen, then the cost and the sacrifice all will be worth it. And it will be seen in in light of who Christ truly is. And it will just, it'll never compare. Yeah. What is this life for if it's not to be given to him and to be sacrificed for his namesake? It can't be that we're here, that we're redeemed in order to live a comfortable Christian life. It can't be that. Yeah. It must be for something so much greater than ourselves. And because we've been invited into something so much greater than us, into a life devoted to the Lord, like what an honor. We do not deserve we do not deserve in any way to be given an opportunity to live a life of sacrifice. Thanks, Elisa. It's so true that our life of sacrifice to the Lord is really the most worthwhile way of living living. We ultimately find ourselves by losing ourselves. As Jesus says, what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And uh, not not the sense that every person is called to foreign missions, uh, but wherever we are, the Lord calls us to live a life of sacrifice and laying our life and our preferences and our comforts down for the sake of serving others. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Simple Grace Radio. We're calling it Grace Stories. Stay tuned for other uh, stories of God's extraordinary, outrageous grace working itself out in the lives of ordinary people here at Harvest Church. Come again next week when we'll be sharing then God's glorious grace for a transformed life. And as we close here, I do want to say thanks to Rick Veldman for his excellent work recording these stories. We have one more in the series and editing and helping produce them for us. He has an excellent studio, and the Lord has gifted him in editing. Thank you so much, Rick.